Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, this is David, and welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. I want to thank Sean Dickers for being on the show last week. Very, very positive reception for his presentation about multiplayer video games. I didn't know that the video game segment was growing um, not only in youth, but also in the elderly population, you know, using Wii's and, and other types of video games. And the fact that 97% of youth uh, had gamed at least once a week as a pray 2011 research study. So um, one of the things, again, you know, we, we just characterize video games, I think, sometimes as negative, And they have so much to offer. One of the stories Sean had shared was was where his own children were part of a gaming guild, and they weren't going to make it home in time to be uh, participants in this this multiplayer game activity. So they needed to get off the road and, and fire up their laptops and make sure that their gaming partners knew that they weren't going to be able to participate. So again, a wonderful a wonderful podcast. Uh, Dr. Dicker, Dickers is an expert in the field. He's so highly regarded and, and, and just so sensible. Um, I, I think that when the question comes up, you know, video games rot your mind or, or whatever, hey, go back to that podcast, Podcast 18, and, and play it and really, really become enlightened to the facts. So I today am going to focus on terminology. Okay, I'm going to focus on terminology, four terms. And the four terms are mainstreaming, inclusion, tolerance, and acceptance. These four terms become conflated, especially mainstreaming and inclusion, and then tolerance and acceptance. And what happens when that occurs is it's hard for people to first of all, parse out the difference between the, the terminology and I think to fully evolve into the most inclusive society as, as possible. And when I say that, I'm not, I'm not coming out here of trying to propose an agenda where everybody is friends with everybody because that, that's not where this is, this is going. Um, but it is going to get down to, um, a very urgent call to bring us back to the point of if we have differences, we're not resorting to riots where we're resorting to discussion, evaluating merit, evaluating character. It doesn't mean that we can't disagree. We will disagree. But let's talk a little bit more about that. So I teach a class uh, called Inclusion of Students with Disabilities. I've taught it for 14 years, numerous formats, and I um, start right away with talking about mainstreaming and inclusion. We hear schools say, for example, hey, we are full inclusion. We are full inclusion school. All students are included. You know what? That's not accurate, folks. It's just not accurate. Um, schools can strive and should strive for full inclusion. But full inclusion actually goes against one of the laws, which is the Individuals with Disability Education Act, and I'll talk about that more. But full inclusion is a myth. Full inclusion is a myth. Full inclusion is a goal. It's something you strive for. You know, it's like when you when you begin a baseball season, you strive to be undefeated. Um, but hey, it if you if you don't get there, it doesn't mean it's not a success. But you aim for that. It's an aiming. It's a it's a point that you aim for. When you bring that boat into shore, that's what you're looking to to to, to line up with to help you get into shore. So um, here here's. Let's talk about the terms. So first of all, mainstreaming and inclusion. Let's dissect mainstreaming. 
Think of mainstreaming as if a child, okay, a child has a GPS or an RFID tag or whatever sewn onto their clothing. So you can tell at any moment where that child is. And I can say, you know what? That child is physically in the regular education setting. They're physically there. They are mainstreamed. Mainstreaming is pretty easy to pull off if you're talking about the lunchroom or recess or art or music or fayad. Not so easy when it comes to, you know, mathematics, language arts, science, social studies. Um, but again, mainstreaming is physically where that child is at. Physically where that child is at. I'm giving you my interpretation. Okay, physically where that child is at. Um, so again, if they're in that regular education classroom, specials, lunch, recess, hey, they are mainstreamed. You've got it. They're mainstreamed. Mainstreaming does not mean that the child is being included in the classroom curriculum. It's it's more, and then you, you come up with these things like a claim of a passive benefit. You know, if they're there, they're getting benefit because they're hearing the teacher. They're in the presence of other students. They're getting benefits. So it is inclusion. You know what? It's not inclusion. It's mainstreaming. It's still mainstreaming. It's still mainstreaming. Okay. So, and I just want to make this clear. I'm not pointing out like better or worse or whatever, whatever, but I want to make sure that you understand terminology because we have 55 million students who attend school every day in the United States of America. Let's get these terms right. These terms get confused amongst educators, also amongst parents, amongst students. It's confusing. I'm going to unconfuse it for you, okay? So mainstreaming. Um, but to say, yeah, just because I have that student, um, you know, with a cognitive disability, for example, wheeled into that classroom and, and they are present in that classroom, they are receiving passive benefit. It's like sleeping with the biology book under your pillow and the osmosis of the book work its way through that pillow and into your mind. It doesn't happen that way, okay? It's mainstreaming. Does mainstreaming a good thing? It, it, it can be. It can be a good start. But mainstreaming is not inclusion. Mainstreaming is not inclusion. Let's talk about it. So, um, so again, mainstreaming in that capacity, that's exposure to peers without disabilities. Um, again, you can refer to that as, as mainstreaming. They're there. They're physically there, where they physically are. How is that different than inclusion? You know, we hear about, hey, all these schools are full inclusion. Well, really, full inclusion schools are probably more full mainstreaming schools. And we also run into this massive thing called the collision of galaxies, <coughs> which I will talk about in a little bit. The Andromeda and the, and the Milky Way. If you're not aware of it, I don't know how many billions of years out, but at some point our galaxy, the Milky Way, will collide with the Andromeda. And that will be a bad day for all of us, but it is billions of years away. Um, but we have that happening right now, two pieces of legislation that I'm going to talk about, which, which impact mainstreaming and inclusion. So let's talk about inclusion. So inclusion is actively engaging a student in that educational instruction that's happening in that classroom, the activities. And it can even be something such as station teaching. Maybe there's a station where a student is going to learn how to use you know, like like snap circuits or, or something like that, but it's more like learning on your own from that, that station it's set up that way. That's fine. That's that's inclusion. That's participation in that curriculum that's set up in that classroom. So um, the expectation is you have academic rigor for that student. You have academic rigor as an expectation for that student. So... You know, there are some exceptions that, that exist in, in inclusion. Ex inclusion needs to get creative. Here's the, here's, here's the story I want to share. True story. When I was a director of student services, we had a middle school girl with a anxiety disability, a crippling anxiety disability. She couldn't even get into the school. She would shake 
It was too much. Bright girl. The doctor said, we can't have her go to school because uh, she would try to get even near her classroom and she, and she would shake and break down. Or if she would get in the classroom, it'd be short-lived and, and she would break down in tears and, and start yelling and and, uh, and, and just um, couldn't handle it. That, that just was not going to work. What do we do? How do you do inclusion? How can you be full inclusion in that situation? We created a Skype setup. So our technology person worked with the parents, had a computer monitor set up in the in, in camera in the girls' home. Also had the same thing in school. So the girl was able to participate via Skype with her class and the class with her via Skype. Able to do that for part of the day. Eventually, the girl came back to school after school, met with a friend, walked in the classroom, and then started to participate um, for 20 minutes at a time and, and worked her way up and, and eventually was, was reintegrated into the school. Um, uh, but this was a very serious condition for this girl, obviously a condition this girl did not want to have. Um, and, and through the, the, the work of the physician and through the, um, you know, specialized counseling, she received the private counseling and with the school staff, she was able to reintegrate. And I think the part of using that Skype as a way to include her in the classroom, include her because there was academic rigor that was expected of her to participate and to ask some questions and to, to have that academic work come back and forth from home. Um, but that's what inclusion looked like for her. Kind of different, huh? Never would have thought of that. Never would have thought of that. So, um, again, we have this myth of full inclusion. So many schools today say, hey, we are full inclusion. We include all of our students. That is our belief. You know what? That's the right belief to have. But here's how this works, okay? You have an individualized education plan meeting for a student with a disability, or it's called an IEP meeting for short. You might have heard of it, IEP meeting. Um, and that IEP meeting then needs to assess the needs of the student and the best way to educate that student. Through that process, then, placement is considered. It's actually part of the IEP, and the IEP must discuss different placements and debate placements for the child, not uniplacement, different placements, okay? Um, now, you always include with that the regular education setting. What can you do to make the child successful in the regular education environment through accommodations, through supports, through interventions, you know, like if they're sitting in a certain spot, um, if they have certain assistive technology, for example, to, to assist them, whatever it might be. Um, but sometimes, you know what, you're going to have that discussion. You're going to try to do everything you can to have the child, um, but maybe that child also has autism, and the stimuli of the environment, of the peers, of the ambient noise, means that, that student is not going to be successful in that setting um, for that entire class period. Okay, maybe that's what it means. Um, so what you need to do is look at a range of options. So you know what? We need to set up a plan where the student is going to have part of their time here and part of their time in a pullout setting. Okay? That's okay. That's not only okay, that's part of the Individuals with Disability Education Act. Remember, um, I kind of talked about, well, there, there's these galaxies out there. Okay? There's these two galaxies. All right? This galaxy is um, Every Student Succeeds Act which was No Child Left Behind. Basically, the implicit design of this is that every student should go on to post-secondary, every student should go on to college or university. Okay, We know that's not realistic, and it's not appropriate. Over here is the Individuals with Disability Education Act, really took root in the 70s, has been reauthorized a number of times, saying that students with disabilities need to be provided a range of services or what's called least restrictive environment for their learning. And that might involve, like we talked about, that girl who was at home via Skype. That might involve a scenario like that. Or it might completely involve an off-site placement for that student or a residential placement 
in for some cases, but it, it opens the door wide open. Um, it, it, and just says, whatever is best to meet the needs of that student is what needs to be done. But then you have ESA over here saying, hey, hey, mainstreaming, that's where it needs to be. So you have these two galaxies which are going to collide. And and we see that right now. We, we, we see that tension which has formed between those two forms of legislation. So the schools that go full inclusion, now granted, like, you should always consider full inclusion as as your first choice at the IEP meeting. And if you can't achieve that, then you work ratchet down to what is your next tier where you can have that student included, included as much as possible and then keep going down from there. And then as you revisit in subsequent meetings of trying to work back up toward that, that classroom setting. So, so that, you know, that, that's what you're aiming for, which is much different than, you know, what, what ESEA is saying is, is, you know, we really want mean full inclusion. But what ESA is really saying is not so much full inclusion is really saying mainstreaming. We want mainstreaming. If you had successful full inclusion, then like all of your specialist speech, language, physical, OT, all of those services are being provided in the regular education setting. But again, that's not the setting that's going to work for every child. We know that. We know that. Um, so we need to have that LRE in place. I do believe that idea of the Individuals with Disability Education Act is going to win out over over the um, Every Student Succeeds Act. I, I, I just think it, it's more sensible. It's been more grounded. But we do have those two things that come into play. So if your school, again, is a full inclusion school, the definition truly of that is that you're striving for full inclusion of all students. If I went into any full inclusion school anywhere in the state of Wisconsin or probably across the country, I could undoubtedly find exceptions to that rule. And it doesn't mean that the school isn't doing their job. Um, it just means and that, that that least restrictive environment provided by the Individuals with Disability Education Act is being fulfilled by the IEP team, which it should, which it should. So, um, Again, we have those those collision of, of of galaxies. So realistically, billions of years away, so you got time to plan. But but right now we do have that through ESSA, which is again the reincarnation of No Child Left Behind and Individuals with Disability Education Act. Looking at the most recent legislation out there from the President Trump administration, um, it doesn't look like IDEA is 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 going to be targeted for reductions in in funding. So I think that also give cred gives credence to the value of IDEA and the value of looking at that range of least restrictive environments for students. So again, um, that ESSA strong emphasis on hey, every student should go to college. Every student should go to university is what is pushing this full inclusion movement. So wanted to get those two things out because they're, they're very, very different terms. They're conflated. Um, and if you asked administrators or teachers to define those terms out, they're likely going to, to have trouble with that. They're going to confuse them or define them as being similar or the same or, or interchangeable but they're very, very different. Again, remember, just think mainstreaming as you get that special RFID tag sewed on to you and physically where you're at. Inclusion is where academic rigor starts to come into play. So I'm going to move us forward a little bit. We have two other terms that get confused quite a bit, and these terms are very, very different, very, very different. Um, the first one is tolerance. The second one is acceptance. Let's talk about tolerance. So we have these programs in schools such as teaching tolerance. Our school is teaching tolerance. And we are doing this at the elementary levels, the middle and high school of teaching tolerance. You know what, folks? You know what? Tolerance is a basement level threshold. If you're teaching tolerance, you're starting too low. All right? It is a basement level threshold. We're better than that as a society. Teaching tolerance. Teaching tolerance. These campaigns should have never even got off the ground, okay? But let's talk a little bit about it.
So you're teaching, teaching tolerance. You're simply adhering to what's called the non-aggression principle, NAP, non-aggression principle. It's a libertarian principle. It basically means that you will not aggress against others, okay? that have not aggressed against you. Not meaning that you don't have the right to defend yourself. That's not what the NAP states. But the NAP means that you will not aggress against others. So um, that is that fits in very well with tolerance, the NAP. Um, the fact that you're talking about tolerance has this implicit part of it, which means that you're actively suppressing some level of discrimination or rage. I mean, let's face it, that's implicit to the word tolerance. Tolerance is like kind of building up this dam to hold back some internal judgments, some internal feelings, which either you have or have been, you know, indoctrinated into you by family, culture, whatever, and, and you're holding those back. You, you, you've, you've got that, that sturdy dam there, your dam of tolerance. You're holding back those feelings. You're suppressing those. But that discrimination and rage, it's possible. That's there, okay? That's there. That's held behind that dam. You're holding that back. And it's there, just not dealing with it. It's there, okay? Um, so that's tolerance. That's tolerance. Is tolerance a good thing? It's better than nothing. Certainly, it's better than nothing. It's better than nothing. We are better, though, as a society, we're better than tolerance. Let's talk about that. So, acceptance. What is acceptance? Okay. Acceptance is seeking to understand another position. Acceptance is seeking to understand another position. Going back to Aristotle, Aristotle, Aristotle taught about debate, how to debate. So instead of being the person that resorts to aggression, like, okay, you don't agree with me, or I don't agree with you, here's my spear, and I'm going to get my point across one way or another, or my club. No, Aristotle was using the art of rhetoric, the art of persuasion, the art of reasoning, intellect, to get his point across. One of the things that was very important of Aristotle is that was kind of the premise of, of debate. Now, now Plato was involved in that too, but, but what, what is debate? What is debate? Debate means that you take the time to understand another's position. You learn their position, ideally, as well as they feel that they know it. Okay? You take the time to learn another position. You know, we don't have that today. We don't. What we have. What do we have? You see Berkeley riot, where people come in, or riots in general, and either you're aligned with their position or you're not. And if you're not, then you are a target okay they're not going to there's no effort to learn the other position you you're dismissed as as an ist you know a, a, a racist or a, a marxist or a socialist or this right or this left or whatever this is okay it's dismissive it's dismissive um it's a step back for us folks it's a step back for us you know um, but so Aristotle talking about debate, the art of rhetoric, the art of persuasion, the art of reasoning, understanding somebody else's position. Why do they, th why do they think that way? You know, try to figure that out. What, what's their context? What's their situation? What's brought them to this point? You're not judging. You're trying to understand. It's different. You're not judging. You're trying to understand. Here's where things get fuzzy. People say, well, when you, when you get into acceptance, then, it, then you're getting into this. I have to be friends with everybody else out there and, and, and all of that. And you know what? That's, that's not, that's not accept, that's, that's not acceptance. Okay. You can, that's an option available to you, but acceptance doesn't mean you have to, to agree. Okay. 
it, it doesn't mean that you have to be friends with everybody out there, but you want to be informed of their position. Okay. You want to be informed and knowledgeable of why they think the way they do. Okay. And maybe that's different than your position. You can evaluate your position. If the knowledge you've acquired from, from learning about their position changes your position, then it does. If you feel you have information to share with them that might change their position, go for it. But again, you know, you are informed. This is completely different than tolerance. Tolerance is not informed. All right. Tolerance is not informed. And the other part of acceptance is you consider new information and determine if it alters your beliefs. Okay. So, you know, for years, I thought the earth was flat. Then suddenly, earth is round. Are we going to accept that or not? Is that going to change your, your beliefs? New information that, that comes out that is going to change your beliefs. Are you going to accept it or are you you not? So it's a whole different thinking between tolerance and acceptance. But what we should do, you know, these teach tolerance programs, boy, it's a pretty sad state of affairs if that's where we're at. We should really be about teaching acceptance. But the moment we teach acceptance is people then also believe, well, then you're teaching that this person has to be your your friend and, and, and all of that. And no, not necessarily. Like we, we pick friends by our common interest, you know, largely, and, and that's how friendships develop. Um, but what it does mean is that you, you are informed and have a, have a level of understanding, at least respect for that position. You can disagree with that position under acceptance, but you disagree because you're informed. Um, you, 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 you don't, you know, you go back to tolerance and you disagree and then you say, well, what do you disagree with about that position? Silence. What do you disagree with if you, if you understand acceptance? Well, I disagree because of A, B, C, and D. Here are points which, which I, I don't agree with um, about the other person's position. That's, that's much different. And there are, there are going to be points you're probably going to agree. I agree on these points. I don't agree on these points. And that is very effective. There used to be, de you know, debate was regularly taught in schools. It was regularly instructed, and it's not anymore. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things that, that, that's lost. We lose the ability to debate. What do we also lose? Well, we lose the ability to protest. We don't know how to protest in a way that's effective. That's a, uh, that is a way that, that fills in, aligns with acceptance. We don't do that anymore. The debates, um, the, how, you know, how, how we, we express that we're not in agreement with something, that we might feel oppressed by something, the, ta the, the ways to tactfully appropriately do that. We don't do that anymore. We resort to what? Riots. Not protest. Riots. Where lives can be taken, people can be harmed, damage is done. And it and this whole thing of like a riot mentality. And we know that this happens. We know that this happens at once, you know, anybody can get caught up in a riot mentality. Um and Again, we need to be better than that. We can be better than that. We were better than that. I remember, you know, reading uh, Dr. Martin Luther King and, and saying, you know, judge me on my character. He's talking about acceptance. He's not talking about tolerance when he's talking about that. But right now we, we have, we've, we've reverted into these, these tolerance type modes. And, and when people come to express how they feel, they are bringing, you know, their banners and flags and they're bringing them on sharpened sticks so they can also use those as, as weapons. Um, you know, they're, they're not hesitant to damage, um, e e equipment. They're not hesitant to punch somebody else. 
And again, folks, we're better than this. We're better than this. Tolerance and acceptance. So, um, I, I, those are really the four points that I want to get across because I, I think they are so essential as we go forward in developing a safe society. I don't know, developing might not be the right word. I don't want to say maintaining because I think we've eroded somewhat from that. Reestablishing, retrenching, refining the positions that we had, those anchor points that we had when we had a society that was more based upon acceptance. So re retrenching, I think, refining ourselves, rediscovering what we're capable of. But this, this quick deterioration into to tolerance. Now, tolerance is better than intolerance, which we're also seeing, you know, a, a, a complete intolerance, a very strict polarization after the political election. Um, so it, it, it's very alarming. And it's playing out across college campuses, too. Um, uh, very very concerning yet are we having these these discussions are we having these discussions i don't know of a school that teaches how to protest i don't know i never had a class i've never seen a class how to protest how to use the different forms of social media of literature of articulation of debate to protest are we teaching that? We're not. And we need to. If we're going to be safe as a society, safe as schools, okay, safe as schools, K-12, higher ed, even workplaces, we need to teach. We need to teach how to protest. Now, what happens with uh, with youth. Now, I, I did a an independent study when I was down at UW-Madison as part of my doctoral program. What youth will say is, one, is like they've never been taught how to protest. Two, nobody listens if they do protest because they're not old enough to vote. Okay? They're not old enough to vote. Um, but, yeah, they haven't been taught. They're not old enough to vote. And even if they protest, there's this this hearing session or whatever, and things never change. So we need to listen to our youth as well as listen to other other groups, other demographics. But And then we need to consider how that informs our position and if we then are going to make changes based upon that new information and not be dismissive and not be dismissive. So... Um, it's, it's extremely, it's extremely important to me, folks, the, you know, these four terms. And then we get into, to the non-aggression principle. I talked about that with, with Dylan Ullman in my interview with him. I thought about that more. And the part that, um, I think is, is a, an extreme struggle with the non-aggression principle which which means that you will not aggress against others. Okay, you will not initiate initiate aggression against others. Um, but the part that's not clear is if you are then aggressed against, at what level do you have to defend yourself and to retaliate? Okay, that's not very clear within the non-aggression principle. It's kind of clear more on property rights, like if someone is is quote unquote you know trespassing onto your property or causing damage to your property that you have you know that the but I, but i'm talking more of you know if we hear these things so much in schools where uh, a principal might say if i come out and i see both of you in a fight then both of you are getting suspended well what if one student was the aggressor and the other student was simply defending himself or herself and now you have invoked and applied the same consequence to both. Not fair. Certainly not fair. And it also then 
how does that come in in teaching the non-aggression principle and, and how to respond to that? Basically, I think you have a situation where you can create this perpetual victim too, where you, you, you just receive these first strikes and you don't fight back to defend, bring, you know, some equilibrium back because none of us, you know, deserves to be, for example, just beat up on a street for, for nothing. Um, you know, just, just a victim of circumstance. Um, because then, uh, you know, you, you, I adhere to the non-aggression principle. So, I, um, the non-aggression principle again is, is that first strike against you, but then, you know, that you, you have the ability to fight back and defend yourself, defend your life. Um, but it's very fuzzy. I ran into that with schools when I would do consulting for safety and teachers really, really struggled with, we have an intruder in the classroom. Um, when can I fight back with, with whatever means I have against this intruder? When can I do that? And it's like, well, if, you know, if, if you professionally deem, um, make that discretion that, that your life or lives of your, you know, students, it, yeah, it's at risk for harm or substantial harm, then you have every right to defend yourself and you don't have to fight fair. You do whatever you t it takes. And people would want that in black and white. I want the exact parameters in which I am okay to defend myself. And part of that is maybe litigation and, and making sure that if they, if they do act, they're not going to be sued. Um, but it is, it's crippling. I've been in meetings where that's taken five minutes. I've been in meetings where that's taken five hours and has not been resolved. It is very, a very deep discussion to talk about when is it okay to aggress against somebody else, especially for adults, because it, we're, it's just something we're not used, we're not used to, frankly. So I, I think that whole non-aggression principle discussion needs to come in as part of like a high school civics class and maybe even down to middle school somewhat. Um, but the non-aggression principle. And then again, we've got that flip side of that of what if you are aggressed against? I don't have a clear answer for this, folks. I don't have a clear answer for this. Um, but, you know, you do. Everybody has the right to defend themselves, to, to defend you know their their life. You know to defend their their property and and by doing that then how does that fit with the non-aggression principle so i think those are very important discussions to have and especially if you have a discussion from a or, or a position from a school administrator saying well if, if both of you are in a fight then both of you are getting the same consequences well that's basically saying that one person should receive the the aggression and and be the the recipient of that and then the you know um the the author would only receive consequences but then the recipient could be severely harmed or impacted by that because they would not then act to defend their own well-being so it's very complicated it's very complicated so um i i want to share uh, a few kind of funny anecdotes uh, uh, toward the the end of, of this this podcast um, so you know the the first one is um, I have I have a, a, a wonderful aunt I mean she she is she is uh, extraordinary just a just a wonderful person and she tells stories of when she was growing up and her back porch was was very close to a train track and actually my 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 mother very similar very similar just a few blocks away but literally like my aunts where she grew up within 80 100 feet there was a train track so back in in the times of the great depression the train would come through and the hobos would jump off or the train might stop and some of the hobos would come up and they would knock on the door and you know do you have anything to spare do you have anything to spare um and the family always always gave what they could they always gave what they could they 
were exercising acceptance. They were they were talking to that person, trying to understand. This person would say, "I came from wherever. I'm trying to to find a job. I'm you know I'm going to be moving on." Um, it wasn't a tolerance. They knew that any you know jobs were scarce and, and anyone could be losing a job at any time and they had known people it wasn't this resentment that they had against people they, they would try to help whatever they had extra they could give and she would say um, we had a garden out back <laughs> and it was hard though to keep the garden um, protected because uh, people were in such need that they would they would you know they would take out of this this garden you know the vegetables but they would you know you didn't have a lock in your garage back then they wouldn't come in the garage and, and they wouldn't take things out of the garage or try to steal them or whatever but um but she said you know even though we had quote unquote the you know these railroad hobos we felt very safe and we could sit down and, and we could talk with them as as kids and you know if they had um you know some some potatoes or some kind of stew that they were cooking up you know as kids hey we were hungry too we you know we would if they offered us a cup of that you know and, and we had brought down an onion and and some carrots and stuff and they mixed it in you know we we would take that that too and they would they would tell these stories about you know their families you know back home and and it would bring tears to their their eyes but wow i mean what what an acceptance what an acceptance um and again never feeling that what would happen today what would happen today 911 trespasser on my property um i need you to come here right away i have i have someone who's you know jumped off a train i, I feel unsafe is it justified maybe so i mean it's a, it's it's a different area it's too bad in a way though right my mother um, where she grew up was about two blocks away from a railroad track and she would talk uh, also very similar about how um, the the hobos would come up and they would knock on the door and they would say you know do you have any food to to spare or is there any work I can do you know for you and typically you know at, at that time there wasn't there wasn't any work um, that you know my my grandparents had had for them i mean they had you know just a very modest very modest home um and, and and were doing all they could do you know to have ends meet but what they did is they shared they understood the acceptance they understood the story they understood that they themselves could be one step away from being in that role and there was also that respect you know from the the hobos of of they would eat on the porch the family did have the option to fight, invite them in, and sometimes they did. Otherwise, they would kindly, you know, eat whatever you had on on the porch, or you know, they would ask, "Can we take some apples from the apple tree, or or whatever it would be?" So, um, but again, you know, we're talking about acceptance. Um, but but imagine, imagine this. Just try, try to imagine this. And and this wasn't that long ago, folks. I mean, this this wasn't that long ago. Um. Uh, a society of of acceptance of, of of understanding okay now yeah I mean I'm not naive I, I know there were cities that 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 um, became kind of saturated with with hobos you know during the Great Depression and and I use the the term hobo just because it's that's more of you know what's been in the literature and so forth I mean these are just individuals you know who are trying to seek employment to to better their their you know better their lives bring some stability um and and the the towns would say you know we're, we're saturated we already have high unemployment or whatever you know please keep going um but um but the i i go back to those those stories especially of my aunt of you know just being being a, a child and, and and just talking about the the kindness of these these individuals and how much you know, pulling out a few carrots out of a garden, you know, might mean to them. So I, th I, I think there's something really heart-touching in that. And there's something that relates very much back into acceptance with that. So if it was tolerance, it would have been, 
okay, hobo, you wait out there. Um, yeah, I'll put something in a bag, toss it out to you, then get out of here. Okay. That'd be tolerance. That'd be tolerance. So if you had intolerance, it would be taking a broomstick and chasing that person off your property. That'd be intolerance. Um, but was there a thought? Was there really a thought? I mean, at least from, from what I've been told, was it, was there a thought between, you know, you know, my mother and, and, and my aunt of, of, of the families of, of going out and then doing aggressing against hobos? No, not at all. I was never, never a thought. Did you agree with everything? Nope, didn't agree that they might have taken some vegetables from the from the garden which you were using, you know, to, to sustain yourself and and you know, maybe some of those types of things, but no, that, that non aggression principle was was adhered to. So amazing. Uh, just a, a amazing. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. So <laughs> Um, I am driving my family to Disney Orlando, and we do have a relative then who will be staying um, at our house and doing some cat sitting. Um, but yeah, it's my first time at Disney Orlando, and um, have have booked up my my trip down there. So I'm going to get to see some areas of the country that I haven't seen before. And I am looking forward to stopping at some of the Civil War sites. Uh, I am a Civil War buff. Um, actually, um, very interesting because, you know, Wisconsin, at UW-Madison Camp Randall was where the football field is, was a, a training site for uh, Civil War soldiers. And then on that property were, uh, also was a prison camp for Confederate soldiers. And... Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't don't know that, but uh, but yeah, right there, Camp Randall, where the the Badgers play, right on, you know, right on that property, you know, within within a few hundred feet of where the football field is, yeah, where there was a, um, there was a prison um, for captive Confederate soldiers. Um, actually, if you read the accounts of that, the the citizens of Madison were very kind. Uh, to the soldiers bringing blankets and, and medicine and, and so forth. Um, but yeah, yeah, really, really fasting stuff. So, so yeah, uh, heading to, um, Disney. I've, I've never been there before. So it's exciting for our family. Uh, do have everything, you know, booked out in advance. One, one thing, um, just as a, a safety doc, you know, kind of switching gears here a little bit, but I did contact my credit card company and let them know ahead of time the dates and the locations I would be in. And also saying the charges are likely going to be for, you know, like food or maybe like for a tourist attraction. If you see me, if you see that credit card all of a sudden, you know, charging up $400 in retail, that's probably not going to happen. And then making sure to, um, you know, that the credit card has my cell phone number because it did have my home number, which would have done no good for them to call the home number. Um, but, but yeah, um, definitely taking those type of precautions to keep yourself safe during travel. I do have an interview that will be coming up down the road um, with a young lady who has traveled um, to Haiti and to other places, but to Haiti numerous times. And she has very uh, enthralling stories to share about personal safety, um, which I think are going to help, especially, you know, we have so many students today which travel overseas to study a semester abroad or church groups that, excuse me, um, you know, are going to other countries to, to help, um, and, and just points to, to be aware of, and she's going to bring a real enlightenment to that discussion so that that'll be coming up in a future uh, safety safety doc podcast so um but yes uh it, it, it's it's very um interesting to look at the the temperature here in wisconsin we have snow on the ground uh when i drove to work on monday i drove through a 
a moderate, you know, snowstorm, you know, probably a solid four inches of snow, but it was very slushy. It was a very slow drive into work, and the snow is still on the ground. It's been in the 20s. Uh, I do get, uh, uh, you know, a number of cords of firewood uh, every winter, and, and now I seem to be burning more than I did a few weeks ago. It was actually in the 60s and 70s, and now it's cooled down again in, into the 20s, and we have snow. But we look ahead to the forecast in Orlando, I'm like 85, 87. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I will have to find my, my shorts and, and my, my T-shirts and, and get all of that stuff stuff packed uh, because, boy, that's, that's going to be much different than, um, you know, leaving Wisconsin with my, you know, with my winter jacket. So, um, but, yeah, some of the measures I've taken personally to, to stay safe on that trip, one is to, to really know my route well um and and to look ahead of time and to talk to other people who have made that that trek and then um to do things such as update my garments so i have the latest latest maps you know in there and then also you know contacting the credit card the credit card company and letting them know the different states you're going to be in in, in in the different times and for personal safety disney does a really nice job they have um, what's called magic bands that you wear uh which identify you so um you know all of our family members have these magic bands and and you can then have this magic band you know swiped at any location so it's a fast pass for a ride but it could also be if you're having a, you know additional um you know, food item that you would want, and it's it, it gets you into your room and, and so forth. But if you would have a child, um, you know that that might get separated from you. Um, their their band, you know, gets scanned, and then they they can get back, uh, you know, linked up with you on a very fast time. So so Disney really has a very uh, well developed safety system in their parks, and I'm interested in observing that to um, just ob ob observing it um, from my experience with with uh, safety in large venues to passively kind of identify what I can identify and and to see if there's there's more overt you know safety that's going on but but that is one thing that that uh, you know Walt Walt Disney World is is known for is is um, having a very safe and, and secure um, environment so um, let me see. I, I have a few minutes. Usually, uh, it's the safety dock running over here in in time, and 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 not uh, and not vice vice versa. Um, but I want to do a, a reflection back. You know, we've had we've had nineteen shows. This is the nineteenth show. I do appreciate your time with me. iTunes, boy, that's been popular. That's been a great move. Uh, there's the podcast community has been so helpful to me. Um, I have contacted you know individuals and have asked everything from you know different mic settings to how they structure their podcast to people that they interview, and, and it's been unbelievable the support within that network. And something I found too is like the gaming network, the gamers. The video gamers of all age, that's really a, a close-knit group, which has brought me to revisit uh, how I write some of my safety books because I do think that we have a capacity. Um, Sean Dickers talked about this in our previous interview of games um, that specifically are designed to have you make repeated ethical decisions, and then the game has consequences based upon those decisions and if you play the game again and make different decisions it has a different outcome and, and so forth but using gaming in that way to have kids contemplate decisions and contemplate the consequences of of those decisions i mean wow and and the fact of this whole multiplayer environment being very self-regulating um, you know that that ignore button and and Sean talking about how someone might have to reinvent themselves as a different avatar and, and come in and and exercise better etiquette and if if they get booted off I mean eventually they're they're just not going to participate in that in that game um, but I I'm I'm very encouraged I th I think there's a tremendous future in learning and in education and even um, you know. 
Think about game design if game design had to do with protest and with expressing um, where you feel you know you've been oppressed or, or feel that there's some injustice of of using a video game in, in environment of, of going through strategies to address that. Uh, I mean, just imagine it. Um, it's pretty interesting. It kind of reminds me of the Field of Dreams movie with Terrence Mann uh, when he is kind of holed up in his apartment and uh, and Ray Kinsella finds him and, and uh, you know, and there's a statement in there where, you know, he talks about, he looks at Terrence Mann and thinks, well, you know, you, you were so active in all of this and, and, you know, Terrence Mann now is developing computer games to help kids work out their differences. And, and Terrence Mann has a, you know, like I was the, I was the, you know, East Coast distributor of, you know, whatever, uh, you know, just talking about how he got so involved in society and, and needed to, you know, needed to pull back. So, um, but yeah, very, very, you know, very interesting, very interesting stuff. So as, as I wrap up, I want to reiterate that I am on iTunes. I want to thank our sponsors, um, the 405 Media out of Los Angeles, California. John Grant and the 405 Media really gave me my break here. It was 9 o'clock p.m. is where the safety docs started out uh, months ago. I do have the 1 p.m. slot uh, Monday through Saturday, and I appreciate that very much with John Grant and the 405 Media, the League of Extraordinary Podcasters, a wonderful lineup of podcasters. Please go in, check out the other podcasters on the405media.com. Sprigio out of Santa Barbara, California, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, Sprigio, the nation's leader in online bullying and threat reporting software. I do know their CEO personally, Joe Bruzes, a wonderful man who is is doing this for the right reasons, certainly wants to create school connectedness and an environment where kids feel safe. Um, and thank you, Joe, very much for the work that you do. Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O, which is an online reporting system for schools, for bullying, and for threat reporting. ISS 24-7. ISS 24-7 provides um, app-based management um, for security, for safety, for large venues, a number of NFL venues, a number of NCAA arenas, shopping malls, other large-scale venues. ISS 24-7 continues to grow. It's one of those uh, behind-the-scenes um, phenomenal organizations that you can go to a game uh, you know where there's 80,000 people in the stands, and ISS 24/7 is working diligently to make that the best game experience and the safest game experience. When I say safest, too, is you know if someone is experiencing you know heart, uh, you know a chest pain, you know that ISS 24/7 can can use their app-based management with their ushers and so forth to to get um, help to that that person as soon as possible. Oh, um, it, j just amazing how that has evolved. So ISS 24-7. I have tremendous respect uh, because, again, they've gone app-based. They're, they're really ahead of schools. I, I don't know why schools don't have ISS 24-7. I mean, there is somewhat of a fiscal factor in that, but the benefit and the time stamping and the quality of ISS 24-7 for instant management control, especially when we have schools where we have, you know, auditoriums, gymnasiums, field houses, football fields, you know, are seeing thousands of people. Um, you know, that's it's just a wonderful resource. It's very it's very well done. And of course, uh, the Safety Doc podcast. I'm available on iTunes. You can go in and type my name or the Safety Doc and you'll find it. Please rate any of the um, shows that you listen to. And I'm available on SoundCloud, and I do also produce all of these on YouTube. So you can go into YouTube and you can watch uh, the Safety Doc episodes. I do have a number of interviews, and I do have interviews coming up. So probably one-third of all of the shows, if not more, will be interviews. And I am kind of perfecting my Skype system. I don't have the audio quite perfected with that. And one of my peer podcasters contacted me and said, Dave, I can help you out with your audio. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know I got the settings a little mixed up, but I think I think um you know it's still been been pretty suitable. So again, uh thank you very much uh for this time and for following the safety doc podcast. <laughs>